part two of 10 reasons why the Jesus of Mormonism is not the traditional Jesus of the Bible. Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul corrected the Corinthians for tolerating false teachers and false apostles who were teaching a different Jesus than the Jesus that they had been preached about. Many false teachers and prophets have come along down through the ages also preaching a different Jesus than we find in the Bible, and they have um, huge followings these people preaching different Jesuses. This, of course, includes the LDS Church and the polygamy group prophets. It's easy to test a true from a false prophet. Just check to see what they teach about Jesus. And if it isn't what the Bible teaches, they don't then don't listen to them. They can add to them or take away from what, what the Bible teaches about Jesus, but it must be precisely the biblical Jesus. Someone once said, as he was describing various religions, I mentioned this in in the first part, that comparing it to Christianity, that in those belief systems, everyone gets to be God except Jesus. They exalt the humans, but then they downplay the deity of Jesus Christ and take away his eternal deity in one way or another. Well, today's guest is back with us to discuss the article he has written that clearly examines 10 differences in the biblical Jesus with the Jesus that Mormonism teaches. This, of course, again, includes the polygamy groups and the many different offshoots of the Mormon faith. So I'd like to welcome back. Thank you again, Eric, for coming. Um, and again, you work with the MRM.org, Mormonism Research Ministry. Your website is full of wonderful articles and information for anybody who wants to check these things out. Yes, thank you for having me again, Doris. And our website is has been made so that people can learn more about the religion through articles, through videos. We have all of our podcasts uh, several thousand uh, podcasts that Bill McKeever and I do on a daily basis, five days a week, since 2011. Mm -hmm. And so we, mm -hmm. uh, you can go and listen to any of those. We try to cover as many different kinds of issues and cutting edge issues as well. We have a, a recently new podcast. Uh, uh, website page that we have is called CrashCourseMormonism.com and that's a good overview if you want to learn about Mormonism in using articles that are about thousand words in mm -hmm. length then we encourage you to go there CrashCourseMormonism.com and you can look at a variety of topics including a topic on Jesus there that will help you to better understand what does Mormonism teach versus what does Christianity teach. Right. We want to make sure we explain right. what Christianity teaches because we don't want people leaving the polygamous groups or or, or, or Mormonism and then head toward atheism. It happens too and often. So, too much, yes, yeah. too much. They just totally reject anything that has to do with God right. because they believe that what they were taught is from God and they don't like it. Yep. And I went, I went through the same thing. I went through 25 years of, of that same mindset not knowing who God really was or who Jesus really was. So we're going to do number six through ten this time. Number six, uh, the reason that he's not the same Jesus is that Jesus of Mormonism paid for the sins in the Garden of Gethsemane rather than on the cross. Is, is the garden emphasized above the cross? Well, uh, traditionally, very much so. Today, a lot of Latter-day Saints will mention the garden and then throw the cross in as almost an afterthought. But we have to understand something. The Bible teaches about the atonement 
And as I said on the previous show, we have to be careful as to what we mean when we use terms like mm -hmm. God, Jesus, atonement. atonement. What does that mean for a Latter-day Saint? And you ask where the atonement took place, they typically will say the Garden of Gethsemane before they will even think of the cross. And mm -hmm. for us as Christians, I mean, you and I are both wearing crosses. The cross is so important. The yes, preaching yes. of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And we need to understand something. It's not the perspiration of Jesus and his blood in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane that gives the atonement. It's the expiation or the death of mm -hmm. Jesus mm -hmm. because there was no sacrifice of animals where they would just cut them and let them bleed and then take them home. Right. The sacrifice was meant to be killed. And Jesus was that sacrifice. If you read yeah. Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, very clearly how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament sacrifice and, and put himself in that kind of a place. Uh, 13th President Ezra Taft Benson, this is what he says on page 14, it was in Gethsemane that Jesus took on himself the sins of the world. In Gethsemane that his pain was equivalent to the cumulative burden of all men. In Gethsemane that he descended below all things so that he could repent oh. and come to him. Oh. Yeah. It's, it, oh, it, it, it's, awful. it's like fingernails on a chalkboard <laughs> in the old days, isn't that? Oh, it and is. One other quote that uh, he gave on page 12 of sermon, Sermons and Writings of President Ezra Taft Benson, to possess a testimony of Jesus is to know that he voluntarily took upon himself the sins of all mankind in the Garden of Gethsemane, which caused him to suffer in both body and spirit and to bleed from every pore. All this he did so that we would not have to suffer, suffer it if we would repent. Mm -hmm. Doris, I'm going to suggest to you this is Satan's favorite way to have a religion that claims Jesus and yet teaches in an atonement that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It doesn't. It's not possible. Mm -mm. And how much joy Satan probably gets from Latter-day Saints who revile the cross and how terrible uh, the cross is. It, mm -hmm. And they don't want to look at it because it, uh, one LDS leader said, I wouldn't wear a cross around my neck any more than I'd wear a bullet around yeah. my neck if Jesus had been shot. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm telling you something right here and mm -hmm. now. If Jesus had been shot and that was a symbol of his death, I'd be wearing a, a bullet casing around my neck to explain that that was that what was saved my me. my salvation story. Yeah. Absolutely right. And I think I mentioned this on your Facebook page that in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it gives instructions about the Last Supper, the communion that, right. that we take. And it says specifically, we do this to remember his death. Mm-hmm. Not to remember his life, as they like to say it, but to remember his death, because it's his death that saves me. Had, had you ever gone to any service in the Mormon church or in your polygamous group on Good Friday? Oh, no. Good, Good Friday heavens, would not. No. Was no, there's no service no. there. And they, they, they don't like that. They like to celebrate Easter. But uh, and maybe not in the same way the Christian church right. does. But right. you can't understand Easter until you understand what Good Friday is exactly. about. Exactly. And we call it Good Friday not because we like to watch the Passion of the Christ and and go, oh, that's really neat. But we say it was necessary because we needed a sacrifice for our sins, we and we it. could not do that work for it's ourselves. The only way we could be saved. The only way. Okay. Um, number seven. According to LDS teaching, the Jesus of Christianity was invented at church councils, but this isn't historical or accurate, is it? No, it's not. And one of the things when 
when the Trinity gets brought up, that's a, an issue that a lot of Christians get fearful of, and I don't think you need to be scared about that. We have a whole series of articles on the Trinity on our website on MRM.org, and I'm going to say when they bring up the councils, ask them, okay, which council was it where they invented Jesus? And yeah. they probably don't, uh, I, I, a lot of the leaders have said the Council of Nicaea right, in 325. That's, that's what I hear most. Can you tell me a little bit about what the Council of Nicaea was about? Well, they uh, they created Jesus and they made up the Bible there. Well, that's not, that's not that, true. That's not true at all. There was a disagreement if you study your history and understand that there was uh, a guy named Arius who was teaching that Jesus was created. And so the bishops got together under Constantine. I don't care if he was a believer or not. He wanted to find out because he said he was a Christian and he wanted to find out what was true. Right. And so they, he allowed them to debate. At the end of the debate, using the scripture, they determined on a vote of like 318 bishops to about four, I think it was, three or four, that they said that Jesus was very God of very God, mm -hmm. begotten, not made, Amen. being in one substance with the Father. They very clearly came up with the idea of who Jesus was. Now, the Trinity wasn't even fully developed at 325. It doesn't really get developed until 381 when Constantinople, the council at Constantinople, and they had to do something with the Holy Spirit, and they said, well, he too is God. Yeah. So then the Trinity was a word that had been created by Tertullian in the second century, try and unity put together right. to create the Trinity and, and basically came up with the idea of what the Bible is teaching is that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is so, God. So they didn't get together to make up these doctrines. They got together to pull these doctrines out of the Bible so that they could clearly be seen. That's what the Bible teaches. And that is what Christians hold to. The creeds were, were meant to find out in the early church, what was mm -hmm. what it was all about, and that's why we have creeds today. A lot of Christians right. like to repeat the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed because they're statements of faith, kind of right. like the Articles of Faith would well, be. Well, that's the their LDS creed, church. yeah. And so here's what we believe, and it's a beautiful thing when Christians can, from different denominations, can get together and worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And in truth. And and yet maybe we don't agree on every single issue, but we all understand who God is we, uh -huh. and who Jesus. So we agree on the created. salvation okay. issues. Yeah. Absolutely right. Did you have any quotes that you wanted to? Um, yeah, let me do give you. That? Let we, me give you one. Uh, Spencer time. Kimball, twelfth uh, president of the church, one of my favorites because I like to use his book, "The Miracle of Forgiveness." Yes. I'm out witnessing, uh -huh. and I want Latter Day Saints to read that book. I even have given out over a thousand copies of the book since 2014. Mm. This is what he says: Men with keen intelligence got together at Nicaea and created a god. They did not pray for wisdom or revelation. How does he know that? I don't know. <laughs> They claim no revelation from the Lord. They made it just about like a political party would do, and out of their own mortal minds created a God which is still worshipped by the great majority of Christians. And I'll be honest with you, uh, his view is very similar to the most of the Latter-day Saints that I've talked to. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure probably mm -hmm. a lot of the polygamous people that you've talked you've If they had, ever get that deep into Christian history. It's just a made-up thing that uh, it sours people, and when they hear the word Trinity, they automatically say, oh, that's not true. They've never really understood what the Trinity is trying exactly. to teach. Exactly. And, and I notice I hear when he said, out of their own mortal minds, they created a God, which is exactly what the Mormons have done. Yes. 
the LDS have done that. Yeah. They've, they, in their own minds, they've created a different God, a different Jesus than what the Bible teaches. Yeah, very much so. And uh, I mean, w when they create a God in their own image, it's something they feel they have to grasp and mm -hmm, understand. Mm -hmm. And God is above our thoughts. He is transcendent. He's, but he's here in our midst. He's, he's imminent. God, it, God is in our midst and wanted to have something to do with us. And so what God did is he sent his very best. As we talked about in the last show, the incarnation. Jesus yeah. came here to be able to die on the cross. And Christians, it's a mystery as to how it all works sure and why is. Jesus did what he did and how, how I was able to find salvation. I don't understand and grasp all of that, but I just know this. The Bible teaches me that Jesus came here, and he came here for a purpose, and he came to save people, and he and, loves people. And we don't understand him because he's bigger than us, for oh, heaven's yeah. sakes. And if he if he wasn't bigger than us, how could he solve our problems? How could he deal with our difficulties? And I, I don't how wanna, could we trust him? I don't want to worship somebody that's created in, in my own image exactly. in, in, a, in a way that, well, maybe he was perfect, but he had to earn the right. Yeah. No, my yeah. God no. has been God because by nature he is he God. is God absolutely yeah. he is God okay well you have some other great quotes here but I don't know I, we might have time for you to okay, maybe do give another one, more. one. Yeah. Um, let me give um, I'll give uh, let me give Gordon Hinckley uh, this is a quote that he gave in in a general conference and cited in the Ensign magazine May 2007 he said, when the Emperor Constantine was converted to Christianity, he became aware of the divisiveness among the clergy concerning the nature of deity. In an attempt to overcome this, he gathered the eminent divines of the day to Nicaea in the year 325. Each participant was given opportunity to state his views. The argument only grew more heated. When a definition could not be reached, a compromise was made. It was known as the Nicene Creed, and its basic elements are recited by most of the Christian faithful. Personally, I cannot understand it. And that's the problem. That's he true. Says. I no. <laughs> can't understand it. To me, the creed is confusing. Well, because we're basically saying that there's God, one God and three persons. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and then he says, how deeply grateful I am that we of this church do not rely on any man-made statement concerning the nature of deity. And yet, this uh, Joseph Smith sermon given at the Grove and other places in, in before he died in 1844 talked about who God was uh -huh. that completely contradicts not only the Bible but the Book of Mormon exactly and so he taught about you have learned and so you've you've supposed who God is I'll teach you who he is and he basically lays out a human God mm -hmm. and I say well where is the precedence for that so that's he's a man-made statement yeah exactly and so Joseph Smith changes his view as to who God is from the time he prints the uh, Book of Mormon in 1830 mm -hmm. to the time he dies in 1844, he radically changes his view on theology. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say Malachi 3.6 says God does not change. Right. You can't change in 14 years. Right. Exactly right. So good. Such a good point. So... Um uh, again, he uh, it makes you wonder how much he did study Nicaea, um, and uh, it, he would be bearing false witness about it if he did a very if he actually did a good study on it. Yeah. So anyway, the councils were called to counteract the false teachings, not to create teachings, just to pull from the Bible what it actually says. Mm -hmm. um, number eight, the Jesus of Mormonism had the potential to sin. And this is one of those cringe verses to me because he was so perfect. 
uh, and he didn't have to learn how to be perfect. He didn't earn his perfection. Right. He didn't work to get perfect. Yeah, and, and James Talmadge, a very important apostle, his two books, uh, Articles of Faith and Jesus the Christ, are probably the two most popular books written by a general authority. In Jesus the Christ, page 134, he says, a question deserving some attention to this connection is that of the impeccability or impeccability of Christ. The question as to whether he was capable of sinning, had there been no possibility of his yielding to the lures of Satan, there would have been no real test in the temptations, no genuine victory in the result. Uh, Christians have debated this issue. Mm -hmm. Could Jesus have sinned? I'm going to say the Bible teaches, no, he could not have sinned, but he, in his, his limitations, because the Bible says that he was in the very nature of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself and became a man. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus is being tempted, when Lucifer, for instance, three different temptations that he gives him, right. Jesus answers with the word of God. I believe Jesus in his mind, in his limited state, felt he could have, but he's God. He's not 50% God. He's 100% he's God. God. Right. There's no way that he could have sinned or we would have ceased to be. The whole universe would have ceased to be That's because right. God is not tempted by sin in that sense. But he was man and he was tempted. As he, a man, he was tempted, but not as God. But Mormonism has to lower Jesus down to its standards and therefore says, well, Jesus could have sinned. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so well, he, he's just our elder brother. Well, that's the problem we talked yeah. about in that previous show, that, yeah. that if he's just our elder brother, do I really want to just be worshiping the elder brother? And in fact, do I even want to just be worshiping Heavenly Father? I really, if, I, if, if as man is, God once was, as God is, man may be, which was a famous uh, citation by Lorenzo Snow, right. and the church still teaches that today. If God has not always been God, but he was a human, and he had a God before him that he worshiped, and then that God had a God before him, and you do that into an infinite past, I don't want... God, Heavenly Father, and I don't want God's you God. You don't need them. I want to get to the very first God. Yeah. Who was the first one that started the whole thing? That's where I want That's to go. That's where. Well, in Christianity, we have that. Jesus says, Jesus I am it. the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. So if he was God in what the beginning. What did the LDS do with that? How do they talk that uh, well, out of a lot of times, reality? Yeah, a lot of times when those kinds of words are used, they're going to use this realm. So, for instance, God is the only God they, whom they have for, worship for this planet, for this world. Yeah. And so, uh, so when you go to Isaiah forty three ten, no God before or after God. They say, yeah, in this realm. But in, if you go beyond that, then he would have. I mean, they don't know much about the preexistence and where. How did Heavenly Father qualify? He lived near uh, near the star, um, star Kolob, is what uh, leaders have said. Right. Where that is, they don't know. So they don't get in a whole lot of speculation. But somehow, God earned the right to be able to become the God of this world, to be able to produce Jesus. And in the Mormon sense, they want what Heavenly Father exactly. has, to have their family together right. forever. So again, they've lowered the Bible and the, the theology down to human standards. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the mistake is made. A big, big mistake big mistake and we do pray that they will come to their senses number nine we've got two more to go some lds leaders have taught that jesus was married and had a family now this is this is we completed a series on this show about jesus being married jesus being a polygamist and we based the series on ogden kraut's book yeah. stating jesus was married right. as the title of the book so so we've covered that pretty much in depth but that is a big difference in the real jesus and the mormon jesus 
Well, and it would make sense that if Jesus was going to do everything he was supposed to do, that he should have been able to have a family too. Mm -hmm. Although Latter-day Saints aren't quite sure what to do with Jesus in the next life, because where is he going to be? He's in the celestial kingdom, we know that, mm -hmm. and he can visit the or the terrestrial kingdom. He can't go to the telestial kingdom. So they know no, that basic yeah, idea. No. But is Jesus going to have a family? Why wouldn't he? Because he was human and uh, he was a God. He we was here to, to pave the way for us. So, so it would make sense. Leaders today don't talk about this. This the, is completely ignored. The polygamy groups teach he, the only way he could go to the celestial kingdom is if he was a polygamist. Yeah. So oftentimes you'll hear when these leaders are talking, uh, well, like uh, in Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 259, Orson Hyde said, he, he said that uh, if, uh, if he was never married, his intimacy with Mary and Martha and the other Mary, also whom Jesus loved, must have been highly unbecoming and improper to say the best of it. Hmm. Now, that's, to me, that is um, offensive. It to is. To say that, well, because Jesus made friends with women, because he thought highly of women. In fact, it's amazing to me in Christianity, if you're going to lie about this whole thing, and women were not considered to be as high as men, why would you have women be the first ones to appear mm -hmm. at the... At the uh, resurrection place. Exactly. At, at, the, at, exactly. at the tomb. Uh, but the women actually looked more courageous the, than the men. The first evangelist was a woman. The, yes. the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Yeah. She went out and told everybody <laughs> in John chapter 4. Yeah. You're right. So so, uh, so he had friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus was the, uh, the brother. And, and you know, he says this. He brings Mary and Martha into it about the intimacy he had with Mary and Martha. But the same intimacy is is talked about with Lazarus and other men right. in the Bible. So what is that? What are they saying? saying. Well, in this 21st century, who knows what you could go with? You know, you could probably go in a whole different realm there. And I'm going to say Jesus was pure in his intentions. Mm -hmm. And yes, Mary Magdalene uh, put oil, on, you know, all expensive oil. Lazarus got, or uh, Judas got upset mm -hmm. when, when that took place. And, and he allowed those things to happen. So for Orson Hyde to say, well, it would be really suspicious unless he was married. There's no indication in the Gospels, besides taking verses out of context, and certainly no indication in the epistles or anywhere else that Jesus was married. Now, if he had been married, would that have been wrong? I don't think it would have been, but Jesus wasn't here to have a family. Jesus mm -hmm. was here yeah. to die for the sins that's right. of his people. That's absolutely right. I think you got a couple more here that's, yeah. that establishes their... Yeah. Well, in, uh, in a conference message that he gave in 1854, Orson Hyde said this, now, there was actually a marriage, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom on that occasion, please tell who was. He's talking about John chapter John 3. Two. John 2. Yeah, John 2. John 2, the, right. Uh, when, when we have the uh, marriage and Jesus uh, makes wine mm -hmm. out of water, mm -hmm. and you save the best for last. They were amazed at, at what Jesus was able to do. Mary... Um, the mother of Jesus was able to get him to do it. Right. And so that's what they're referring to. If any man can show this and prove that it was not the Savior of the world, then I will acknowledge I am an heir. We say it was Jesus Christ who was married to be brought into the religion whereby he could see his seed before he was crucified. I, I knew a, a man who was an apostle of the true and living church in Manti years ago. Uh -huh. His name was Bart Malstrom. And Bart, uh, when I first found out that he believed in uh, what he did, he was polygamous. He had five wives. And then I found out in multiple mortal probations. Yes. And I talked to Bart about that. And I said, well, 
who were you for Joseph Smith? And he said he was Parley P. Pratt. What's interesting, oh, because my. I knew about Parley P. Pratt. He yeah. was killed uh -huh. for, uh, for by the husband of a wife that he was taking. And then I said, whose disciple were you of Jesus? And he looked at me and he says, I can't tell you. And after a few minutes, I was able to get him to tell me who it was. He was Matthew. And it was interesting because oh, wow. he, uh, Matthew did the books mm -hmm. and Bart did the books for his religion. He was the accountant there. Yeah. And I asked the question, I said, can you tell me about when Jesus got married? And he says, oh yes, I remember it well because he was able to have selective memory. And so he told me all about John chapter two. Oh he said, my yes, goodness. I, I, I'm remembering it more every day. And he told me about how Jesus uh, was married and then he turned the wine into water. So they were using that as a polygamous uh -huh. group. And, uh -huh. and certainly do. this is the LDS group. And you don't, again, you're not going to hear something like this in current Mormonism, but it just makes sense. And I would say, okay, but what evidence do you have that that took well, place? Well, again, marriage has to be, it is so important in Mormon doctrine. Marriage is, mm -hmm. you can't even get, you can't, whether you're a poly polygamist, believe you have to be a polygamist to go to exaltation. The Mormons believe you have to be married to go to exaltation. And so not, Jesus has to be in their doctrine. Yeah, not just married, but married in a temple. Right. And if you're not with your family and your wife and family forever, then it would not be heaven for you. Jeffrey Holland, apostle of the church, uh, said that years ago, and that's played at all the temple open house uh, right before you go inside and take a tour. They'll play this, mm -hmm. and it sounds so romantic, but I'm going to tell you something right now. Families are great, but that's not the purpose of going to that's heaven. That's exactly right. Okay, number 10. We've got just a couple of minutes for this one. The work Jesus did on the cross in Mormonism is not enough for a person to receive forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly true in my own experience growing up in a polygamy group. Um, it was all up to me. I never knew anything about the cross. had anything to do with my eternal life. It was all up to me. Whenever you take uh, salvation and make it into Jesus plus, and I don't care what the plus is, plus anything equals to get the very best that this religion has to offer. You're talking about a false gospel right. that was denied in Galatians 1, 8, 9. Paul says, if anybody preaches a gospel other than the one I preach to you, let him be accursed. And so the problem uh, with, with the idea that um, a Latter-day Saint can get to heaven on his own works, which all the religions say, mm -hmm. what do I have to do for God? Exactly. And Christianity asks a much different question. What did God do, do for, me? for me? It's a whole different way of thinking. And so when we understand that we are saved by grace through faith, it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. According to Mormonism, 2 Nephi 25:23 disregards Ephesians 2, 8, uh -huh, 9. Sure does. It says you're saved by grace after all you can do. Yes. But the Bible says Jesus imputes his righteousness onto a believer because he's the perfect one right. and he hit it's the cross that uh, and again we don't worship the cross but it's something that it symbolizes what was done on the cross the expiation of the sacrificial victim jesus mm -hmm. to be able to make it possible so that i can get what i don't really deserve i don't deserve forgiveness of sins but because of what jesus did i can have faith in him mm -hmm. and i can therefore uh, be forgiven and the latter-day saint doesn't know that you ask them if you were to die right now where would you end up they're not sure they're fearful mm -hmm. and uh, they know that they haven't done everything they're supposed to do so they're trying and they're doing their best 
But the Bible says you don't have to try and you don't have to do your best because, as I said, Jesus Je did it for us. He paid it all. And, you know, you can go on MRM.org and you can Google or search, enter into the search, the differences of the Mormon Jesus and the biblical Jesus. You can, we didn't get to read all the quotes that he has in his article, but there are some great quotes. And you would do well to go there and find out for yourself and research for yourself uh, the scriptures that talk about who Jesus is. Jesus said, if you don't believe I'm the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And where I go, you cannot sum. Uh, you cannot come. Thank you, Eric, so very much for coming and sharing. And people can call and talk to you if, if they're email you at mrm.org. They can. They can uh, contact me personally if they want at Eric, E-R-I-C, at mrm.org. Mm -hmm. And uh, have a conversation. And he promises it'll be friendly. <laughs> it will be. Now, we offer up all this information because we care about your eternal destiny. We aren't trying to destroy anyone's faith. We merely want everyone to know the genuine biblical Jesus Christ. Jesus himself told us that if we do not believe that he is who he claims to be, where he goes, we cannot come. It is therefore imperative to find out who Jesus claimed to be and adjust our beliefs accordingly. Or, and Jesus said it, you will die in your sins, which means unforgiven, and you cannot go to his heaven. The Gospel of John is a very good place to start to read and study about the true Savior, the biblical Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.